0: Today at Clearview Community Church Online, we're beginning our Advent series with a conversation about hope. Hi, I'm Clayton Cullum, and I'm one of the pastors of Clearview Community Church. We're one church in multiple locations that serves the region of the Georgian Triangle. And thank you for joining us today. Now, today we're beginning a series that will lead us up to Christmas Day. And we're going to be walking through Advent, which prepares us for the coming and arrival of Jesus. And we'll speak of the common themes of Christmas, things like hope, peace, joy, and love. Now, the question is, what does hope mean to you? For some, it means the same thing as wishful thinking. Like, I sure hope that everything goes okay today, or I hope I get this job interview, or I hope my kid does okay in school or even goes to school. Now, that's not the kind of hope that we're talking about today, though. Hope, in the biblical sense, is something much more tangible. It's not subject to circumstances and situations. The hope we're speaking of finds its foundation in the person of God himself. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews described it this way in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The remainder of that chapter actually gives several examples of men and women of faith down through history who believed in God, especially in spite of their circumstances because their hope was established in God. You see, there's something very different about a person who has a relationship with God and someone who just hopes in anything. We can see the distinction between belief and non-belief just by reading the typical inscription on the grave of a typical person in the Roman Empire in the day and the age of Jesus. Inscriptions would often say something like this, where it would say, I was not, I became, I am not, and then would close with a line saying, I care not. It's a pretty, uh, let's call it fatalistic view of things. I was here, and now I'm gone, and now I don't care. But we can see a clear contrast between that outlook... And the view of the Jewish people of that day and age. You see, they had immersed themselves in the promises of God written in what we call the Old Testament. They did not buy into the view that we are alone in the universe. They believed in the living God who had revealed himself to them and to us through the Holy Scriptures. And this God of the Old Testament, who had performed incredible miracles for, for their forefathers and their history, he had promised them that he would not leave them and he would not forsake them. He would not turn his back on them. God would one day change things and make all things new. And their greetings and their farewells to each other all pointed to that day where they would say shalom, which we translate as the word peace, but it does mean so much more in depth. It's a hope for everything to be made right, for everything to be made whole, the way that it was intended to be when God created his good world. And so they read read of the kingdom of God that would one day be established. And this is where we start today with a past hope. We begin with the prophecies about who the Messiah was and who he is going to become. Now this past hope, we're talking about the prophecies of the Messiah found in the Old Testament. In Isaiah uh, 7, verse 14, a prophecy was given to a king named Ahaz, the king of Judah. And this would have complications and implications for all people. Isaiah was inspired by God to write, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to his son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was one of many prophecies concerning Jesus. It was written about 740 years before he was born. And there's many more prophecies that were written about this Messiah, the Chosen One, throughout the Old Testament. These prophecies, they specifically pointed out things like where he would be born, the conditions and scenarios surrounding his birth. It would predict the human family of origin and many, many others. They also speak of major events in the life and the death of Jesus in incredibly great detail. Now, another verse is found two chapters later in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For to us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and prince of peace. Now we look back on these verses with hindsight, which is twenty twenty and that this is the prophecy, the ways that they've happened is so easy to interpret after it's been fulfilled but try to put yourself in the shoes of those who were waiting for it to happen. They were trying to interpret events, expecting things to happen, trying to understand when all of these things would actually come to pass. For example, we have the story of the Magi, or the wise men as they're commonly known from the East, likely Persia, and they'd been studying the stars and the scriptures, and they found evidence that the time had come for this birth of this Messiah child. Notice that the Jewish teachers To whom the scriptures had been given, they were not the ones who went to look. Instead, it was foreigners, and they found that child, Messiah, in the person of Jesus. Now, because of the ways in which God has worked in history, the past hope, they were looking for what was coming. And we fast forward the 700 years to the actual time of Jesus' birth, and we get what we're going to call the present hope. Now, in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, we're introduced to a plain, ordinary girl from a small town called Nazareth, a plain, ordinary town in a small province of the Roman Empire. There was nothing very special about her that was obvious to anyone else. And later, when the genealogies were researched, it's discovered that Mary had descended from the lineage of David, another link in the chain of prophecy that painted the picture of God's love for all people. But we find some interesting things in the genealogy of Jesus provided to us. There are some people there that many would just have as soon have left out. They would rather them not be there. It wasn't all royalty, good or powerful families. Tamar is there, and she was abandoned. Ruth was there, and she was an immigrant looked down upon. Rahab was there, and she was a prostitute. The Messiah was born not because of his great ancestry, but seemingly in spite of them. And we don't know a lot about this Mary, mother of Jesus. And that's likely by design. The fact was that she was from this small town of Nazareth. It actually speaks volumes. Few people had ever heard of it. Fewer had gone to it. It was a kind of a hole-in-the-wall kind of place. This seems to be the way that God often chooses to work, if you look back. And then when it came time to lead the Jewish people into battle against a much larger enemy, God chose Gideon in the Old Testament, who says, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family, but God chose him. And when it was time for a new king in Israel, the prophet Samuel was told to reject all of the other bigger, older, more accomplished, stronger brothers and settle on this little kid named David, a shepherd boy. And it says in the message paraphrase of of First uh, 1 Corinthians one27 twenty seven, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and the culture exploits and abuses, and He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. And then God chose Mary. We pick up the story in Luke one verse thirty to thirty eight, where she's being visited by an angel. And in a case you're wondering, no, that is not a normal occurrence, not a regular occurrence, not even in the Bible. Angels are messengers of God and only appear on special occasions in Scripture. So Mary was rightly concerned and rightly frightened, and then here's what happens. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And even Elizabeth, your relative, she is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now generations had been waiting for this very day. It had been talked about around dinner tables. It had talked about in synagogues. It had been talked about in the good times and talked about in the bad times. One day, the Messiah will come. How many times had they heard that? How many times have we heard that? One day, Jesus will come again. And Mary was living in that day, in that moment. It was time. It was happening, but it was not happening in the way they had expected. If you look at what the angel said, there is a beauty to it. Mary had found favor with God. She would conceive and give birth to a son, whom she would call Jesus, which means God saves. So far, this is so good. But when God intervenes, he doesn't always make it make sense to us. And Mary asked, how am I going to, how does this be, since I'm a virgin? How am I going to have this child? And so the angel gives an explanation that speaks of miracles. And the spiritual reality is that she could hardly grasp of this. Yet we see the faith of a young girl in her response. I am the Lord's servant and may your word to me be fulfilled. She gave the response of those who hope in God. I might not understand what's happening, but I trust in you. I trust you right now. I trust that you know what you're doing. That is the present hope. But there is a third kind of hope today I want to look at. It's the patient hope. Romans 8:24 to25 says it this way: "For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to establish is a kingdom of the now and the not yet. The kingdom is here right now it exists wherever people yield to his sovereignty the kingdom of god is seen when the sick are cared for and the hungry are fed and the lonely are brought into community and now the church that was established by jesus to do those things and to do more and to spread the good news of the kingdom of the gospel this church does that the gospel first recognizes the truth of our condition Each of us is lost. We are rebels against God in a world that He created. We must begin with this understanding if the world is to make sense. This is why we are in the mess we're in, because people reject God and reject God's rule. But the good news of the gospel, and it is good news, is that the baby born to Mary grew up to be the one that we know as Jesus. He was the Son of God, and He Himself said that He came to give Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus declares to the world in one of the most famous, famous passages of scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the now part of the gospel. You and I can have life, life eternal now. Because of Jesus Christ. This salvation that Jesus spoke of converts and transforms individuals. It forms them into a new humanity. And I've seen many people change as the love of God gets a hold of their lives. But there's also a part of the gospel that's still coming. That we still hope for. That he will renew the whole world and all creation. And Jesus promised that he will return and finish what he started one day. The Apostle Paul used descriptive words in Romans chapter 8 when he talked about how all creation is groaning in anticipation of that day. And isn't that how it feels sometimes? Now, let's talk about this. It can be frustrating when we don't really understand. So what do we do in those days when circumstances are unfolding in ways that we never expected, ways that we don't understand? Well, We thought that things would happen one way, but it seems to be turning out very differently. What do you do with all of that? Here's the thing that I hope that you can grab hold of today our hope. It's not in things working out exactly the way we planned. I know a lot of people who got exactly what they wanted and ended up being wildly disappointed. What the Bible reveals to us and what Christmas teaches us is that hope is not a scenario or a circumstance. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And remember, his name means God saves. And so when we place our hope in him, he places our feet on solid rock and gives us a firm place to stand on and on which to build our lives. The hope spoken of in the Old Testament prophecies, that was revealed in a baby born in a manger and a miracle working savior who spoke words of life. This hope This person of Jesus was betrayed, wrongfully accused, convicted, tortured, and hung on a cross. And then he was buried in a tomb, and it seemed that hope was buried and killed with him. And there's the story in Luke chapter 24 that you can read for yourself. It takes place after the resurrection, where hope has risen, but before the word has spread. There's two unnamed disciples walking down a dusty road towards the village of Emmaus. And they're talking about what has just happened. And you can imagine the conversation. What do we do now? I I can't believe he's gone. He's dead. The hope is dead. The Messiah is dead. And just then, a man they don't recognize comes up behind them and asks what they're talking about. They can't believe that he hasn't heard the story. And they share the story of the death of Jesus. And in verse 21, they share four words that reveal their hearts. But we had hoped... You see, they had expected the Messiah to bring a political answer to the Jewish situation. They expected an earthly king, they expected something different. And now, they are incredibly disappointed and distraught. And so this stranger went all the way back to the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. And he explained how all these things had happened, they were exactly how God had planned it. It had to happen this way. The story just wasn't over. When they stopped to share a meal together their eyes were finally opened they were talking to jesus and they saw that hope was alive hope is a person hope is jesus he's alive and he will return and hope makes everything different you see hope works in these ways it looks for the good in people instead of harping on the worst it discovers what can be done instead of grumbling about what it cannot it regards problems large or small as opportunities, and it pushes ahead. It pushes ahead when it would be easy to quit. It lights the candle instead of cursing the darkness. So as we begin this Christmas season, my encouragement to you is to turn your heart to the person of Jesus and find hope. Now you might be going through a challenging time and my encouragement is to look to him. Hope is the person of Jesus. As Max Lucado wrote, God is still in his temple, still on his throne, still in control, and he still makes princes out of prisoners, counselors out of captives, Sundays out of Fridays, and he still brings beauty out of Bethlehem's. So let's pray together. Dear God, as we enter this Christmas season, we thank you for the reminder that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Help us to open our hearts to the one who came to give his life and came, came to give us life and to learn to live in the hope of Jesus. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Clearview Community Church. If you have any questions or comments you want to learn about our church, visit us at clearviewcommunity.church and you can also click on the What's Happening page and find out everything you need to know about what's happening. So God bless you and we'll see you next time.